Welcome to Fourth and Two Strikes. I'm your host, Cole Lanny, and today we have a multitude of topics to talk about, including last week's recaps of the AFC and NFC Championship games. We got to talk about some of the breaking news we saw across the NFL this week, and we're going to touch on a couple of the coaching hires that have occurred in the last couple of days. First, let's start with this, though. We have a new team name in the NFL. We no longer have a team by the name of the football team, thank God. We have the Washington Commanders. Now, am I the biggest fan of this name? No, but is it better than football team? Absolutely. And I I think everyone knew it was going to be Commanders. And I think that's they, the surprise was ruined. And that, that just shows how bad that organization is as a whole. I think they have the worst owner in football. And I don't think it's necessarily close. Dan Snyder's awful and I think this whole tobacco with the old team name which I won't reference turning into the football team like on, on a flip of a switch and then taking two whole years to secure a new name is quite terrible and then you look at the stadium issues they have the parking issues the fact that they're not good they don't have a quarterback I think they have the right coach but I don't know but all of this falls under Dan Snyder and I know Chase Young your franchise DN is not a big fan of the name but you know what it's better than football team it's better than saying I what team do you play I play for the football team I was awful well with that out of the way which We've known for a couple of weeks because they released a video with that hinting at it as in you could see the dude's paper that says they're rebranding us to Washington Commanders. So this whole campaign they're running is kind of funny because everyone's known this for about a month. So with that being said, let's talk about last weekend. We have a Super Bowl matchup. A Super Bowl matchup of two former number one overall picks. One with the franchise that took him and one with his second franchise. And I think there's glaring differences on how they got there, yet similarities at the same time. I think we see a guy like Matt Stafford who had to go to an awful organization like the Lions. and But out of college, Matt Stafford was great out of high school. He was highly recruited, went to Georgia, was the number one overall pick. And then goes to Detroit. And nothing ever goes well when you play for Detroit. Burrow, to the contrary, went to Ohio State. Didn't get his shot. Lost his job to Haskins. And had to transfer. And then he found himself in his fifth year at LSU. And ends up winning the Heisman. Having the greatest quarterback college season ever, probably. Winning a national championship. And then going number one overall to another awful organization, the Bengals, who are notoriously cheap with awful owners as they don't even have an indoor practice facility. They are currently practicing for the Super Bowl in the University of Cincinnati's dome. The University of Cincinnati, not their own practice facility. If that says enough about how that team is run. But beyond that, I'm not going to try to preview the Super Bowl yet. That's going to be for an episode upcoming as this is our the bye week before the Super Bowl where we get to see the Pro Bowl. 
which again, I'm not even going to talk about because nobody cares. Nobody cares about the Pro Bowl or all the skills contests they're doing. Yeah, Michael Parsons won a like a race last night. I saw Stefan Diggs jump through a table, but I don't think anybody watched. I don't think anybody cares about the Pro Bowl. It's awful. It's the All-Star Games. I know it's not, but it's an All-Star Game. In the NBA, it's bad because it's just people putting up 300 points a game. In the NHL, it's like 20 goals because goalies don't play. In in football, it's nobody cares because nobody wants to be there because nobody wants to get hurt. You're not allowed to do, do half the things. No one wants to tackle anyone. And then baseball. Baseball is easily the best because people actually will compete against one another, which is not seen in the other sports. Beyond the point. So let's start with the ASC. Wow. First, I want to toot my own horn a little bit by saying one of the better bets last week, if you believed in them, would have been Bengals money line, not to just cover, but the straight up win. And they did. So I feel really good about that myself. So, again, I would probably say the same in the Super Bowl. If you believe the, if you believe the Bengals will cover what the number is, take the money line. Why not? So... The Chiefs jump out to a huge lead in that game, and they look unstoppable with their first three possessions. They are walking down the field, scoring with with ease. Tyreek Hill's, what Tyreek Hill is, Kelsey's catching balls. Jarek McKinnon's running all over him, and Mahomes looks like the magician that he is. And then they get the ball right before halftime. They go all the way down inside the five, and they go for it with very little time remaining instead of taking your three points and going to the locker room on a high note and being up 21. And the play call there was very questionable because I believe they had around nine seconds when they first got down there, nine or eight seconds. So I wonder if you need to hurry up some plays with zero timeouts, Mahomes ended up they try to rule out play where they try to the moving screen, the natural pick, and then somebody becomes open in the corner, which they've done a hundred times. And the Bengals read it well, and it did happen. So Mahomes puts the ball in the grip, spikes the ball essentially, does what he needs to. Then you have the play call on the very last play before half. Why are you throwing a backwards pass? Yes, I get it's Tyreek Hill, and he's elusive, fast man in the NFL. But why are you throwing, you You take a one progression read and then you throw right to Hill. And he's unable to get out of bounds. He's unable to break a tackle. I don't understand the play call. Why don't you get the ball into the end zone? You have a probably the best tight end in football and Travis Kelsey. And you're telling me he you couldn't get on couldn't try to get a one-on-one matchup with Kelsey or I don't know, put another tight end in there. Use Blake Bell. Byron Pringles is playing well of late. McCole Hardman. If you wanted to run something like that, why wouldn't you just run like a jet sweep or a double reverse? Because you gave the Bengals time to make the adjustment when you go through one progression, then you turn and you throw the ball the hill. So I can't understand why you, couldn't have at least tricked them a little bit, put Hill in motion, 
Maybe he runs over, he fake hands it off to McCole Hardman or something, or he actually does, making an option play. Maybe he's able to pass the ball to Kelsey. Be creative. And, you know, I think Andy Reid is the best play caller in the NFL, maybe with McVay. But I was very unimpressed by the play call there. And I think that gave the Bengals a little momentum. Because all you heard at halftime was, well, this is the deficit that they came back from a couple weeks ago when they played in Cincinnati and the Bengals ended up putting up winning 34-31. And like I, I don't think there's a chance. The Chiefs are humming on all cylinders, not a chance. And then the second half happens. The Chiefs put up three points in the second half and overtime combined. Three. And not only was it just three, that three almost didn't happen. It was at the very end of regulation. It was to tie the game on a field goal. that should have only been like 25 yards, or you could have scored a touchdown. I think they were within the five-yard line. And you end up having to kick a 40-odd-yard field goal to go to overtime. And this is the thing that scared me about Mahomes this year. It just felt like... When he was on, he was on, and he was the best quarterback out there at any given point in time. However, when he was off, he looked awful. Awful. There was very little consistency, in my opinion, what I saw from Mahomes this year. And on the contrary, I saw a lot of consistency from Burrow. Yes, he had a pick, but he did everything in his power to wield his team to a W. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. He ended up with his line being 23 for 38, 250, two touchdowns and a pick. But he also had a decent amount of rushing yards. He looked the part. I mean, he ended up with 25 rushing yards. He was mobile. He did what he needed to. And he proved that he was worth that number one overall pick. I questioned out of the draft his ceiling of sorts I said he's a very refined product he's an older quarterback so I think he's going to be pretty solid in this league I don't think there's that much of a bust potential with Burrow however I just didn't see this ceiling while I'm seeing it now he's gonna should get MVP votes he should garner MVP votes I don't know if he'll get any because of Brady and Rodgers but he should have been in the consideration for it considering he's coming off a horrific injury and he plays for probably the cheapest franchise in the NFL. And not only, okay, I got to get some of those chess. How in the world is Dak Prescott the favorite for the comeback player of the year? It's got to be Burrow. Coming off a worse injury and wielded that roster to the playoffs. I know they vote right when the regular season ends, but wheeling that team to the playoffs. Just saying. So, I I think. Cincinnati with all their weapons, and I think Jamar Chase showed up in the second half, which I think was huge to go back his direction. T. Higgins ended up with over 100 yards. Mixon ended up with 88 yards on the ground, 21 carries, which I thought was huge. I thought the fact that if you look at the time of possession, that the, since he won the time of possession, that gave them a shot to win the game. Because if Kansas City had one time of possession, you're not winning especially with how explosive their offense is and how fast they can go. Even when you win time of possession, it's hard to beat the Chiefs. And let me give Cincinnati credit because they did it. They deserve all the credit. And 
to see the pass rush start to get home in the second half. Trey Hendrickson really take that next step up. The offensive line played pretty well. I believe there were only one or two sacks given up by the um, by the Bengals, which is way better than the nine that they had given up the previous week. Yeah, they had one. Actually, yeah, one sack. One sack and lost seven yards. It's way better than the nine, the play, playoff record, playing playoff tying record that you give up to the Titans. So I think that was huge that they protected Burrow enough. They gave him enough time. He was able to scramble. He was able to get first downs. And he wielded his team to a W. And I can't wait to see him play in the Super Bowl. This is a, you know, two quarterbacks. I've never been in one before. And I'm excited to see how each performs. Considering I felt like for the last, you know, 20 years, we've been getting the uh, old AFC uh, trifecta of Brady, Roethlisberger, and Peyton Manning for all them years. And then over recent, it's been a lot of the Mahomes show. So it's good to see a new era of the NFL issued in, especially with a young quarterback like Burrow. And Stafford's not young, but it's good to see, you know, he's not old either. He's been in the league for 12-ish years, so I think it's good to see two new guys make the big game, and I'm really intrigued to see how the game really plays out. So, looking at Kansas City in the future, what is the future for Kansas City? Because you're paying Mahomes all that money, and he's going to be the highest-paid athlete ever with over $500 million or whatever he signed for. How are you going to be able to afford him and a roster around him? And that's what scares me about the Chiefs. Maybe not next year, but if, coming down the line, you're going to have to, a lot of these pieces are going to be get really expensive, and you're going to have to move off of some of them. And, like, guys, I know Hill's under contract for another couple of years, Kelsey signing extension, but you're not going to be able to keep both of them forever, and you're not going to be able to keep, keep McColl Hardman when he goes up for free agency, I don't think. Like, so you're going to lose weapons, especially on your, the defense side of the ball. You're going to lose some guys like uh, Frank Clark's expensive. Chris Jones is expensive. You have a lot of expensive players here, and you're going to have to truly draft really well to help supply that roster over the next couple of years. So I, when they have Patrick Mahomes, I'm never going to doubt the Kansas City Chiefs. However, you're going to have to retool over the next maybe this off season, but definitely over the next couple of off seasons to ensure you're putting a capable roster out there with him. We saw what happened when the offensive line broke down last year in the Super Bowl. They've got to worry about that. Orlando Brown, number one thing you got to do is lock him up as your franchise left tackle. It's the number one thing you need to do. All right, let's pivot to this. Let's talk about the NFC. We got to see the San Francisco 49ers, Los Angeles Rams, part three. And this game truly was played like they were the bitter rivals that they truly are. Seeing just the hard-nosed football that they played this entire season against one another and the games in which they played against each other. They just met, met up a couple of weeks ago, weeks 18 now of the NF, end of the re- regular season, and the Niners end up winning and going to the playoffs. That was Jimmy G's return game after he had the uh, thumb injury. So 
it was intriguing to see this matchup again because McVeigh could not beat Shanahan. He has not beat him until last weekend. In I believe it was Shanahan was six and zero in his last six. Six and zero. I love McVeigh. I think he's the brightest young mind in football, but it proves how good Shanahan is too. And that's why I'm super excited to see Shanahan with a young quarterback. As they already said, they're he has confirmed it, but they're going to move off Jimmy G. They're going to trade him. I can't blame him either because Jimmy G played the role of a game manager again. And, I mean, his stats are pretty mediocre. He went 16 for 30, 232, two touchdowns, and that costly interception to lose the game. Jimmy G has never made that throw that you're like, man, he just took that team for the win. He never made throws down the sideline or a beautiful toe tap somewhere, a nice crossing route, a really thread a ball in a tight window to win a game. I've not seen it. And not many people can do that. And I'm not going to blame Jimmy for it, but this Niners team has so much potential, and that's why they drafted Trey Lance, because he is such a high-ceiling guy that he could take them to the next level on what they want, especially in a Shanahan-run offense where they love to run the ball. A guy like Trey Lance who could run himself is going to be huge. And talking about that, how is the leading I, I know Debo Samuel's incredible, but the leading rusher for the Niners was Debo with 26 yards. 26. I don't know how that you could have expected to win that game with 26 rushing yards or that little amount of carries. He had seven carries, but they ran the ball 20 times. Jimmy had to throw the ball 30 times. That's not a recipe for winning in that type of game. I felt like you need to run the ball more. You need to give the ball to Eli Mitchell, give the ball to Debo more. Given Debo was incredible when he got the ball in his hands. But with the Rams offense that could boom like that, considering Cup had 142 yards and two touchdowns. And I know Odell played really well too. So how could you have expected to win with the fact that you weren't chewing the clock, especially with a limited quarterback like you do with Jimmy G. Odell had 113 yards. The Cup had 142. So I look at their stats, and the the Rams shot themselves in the foot a couple of times, and they still won the game. And that's what happened last, the previous week against the Bucks. They shot themselves in the foot. Akers fumbles before the half and then fumbles again later. And they can't get anything going in the second half. They still win the game because they throw deep to Cooper Cup and he burns coverage. And honestly, I saw that again. Cooper Cup dropped a touchdown. Ben Skoranek dropped a big touchdown in the end zone. And they still won. They put a 13 points in the fourth quarter. And I was scared going to that fourth quarter. I'm like, oh my gracious, they're not going to do their Niners are, have their number. They're going to win again somehow. Well, then the Rams proved who they were. And let's talk about this. Stafford threw a huge, costly interception in the end zone in the first half. That really hurt. And 
for them to still win this game and be as a mistake ridden as they were, it shows how high the potential that they have when they aren't this unbuttoned and they are buttoned up and they make the throws, they make the catches. And I think that's why they're favored in the Super Bowl, obviously. I think they have star power absolutely everywhere with Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, Leonard Floyd on the defensive side of the ball. Then you got Cup, OBJ, Stafford, Akers. On the offensive side of the, the ball, it's they're a very star-driven team. And if the stars perform well, they will win. However, if not all do, it could go the opposite way. And the big key, I think, is going to be in the Super Bowl is Stafford. If the Bengals turn over Stafford two or more times, I they will win the game. They will win the game. If they turn him over once, they have a shot. If they don't turn him over at all, they're going to lose. I think that's a very easy way of putting it. As I think it's quite simple to look at look at that game and say there's star power on both offenses. The Rams defense probably better, but the Bengals guys make plays. Guys like Sam Hubbard, Trey Hendrickson, Jesse Bates is incredible on the back end. Mike Hilton's a great nickel corner. So I look at the teams and I just think it's gonna come down to the quarterback play and i think it's just gonna come down to how what does stafford do in the biggest game of his life and given he's played the biggest game of his life the last couple weeks because he's had the most pressure on him that he's ever had because when those detroit teams waltzed into the playoffs i don't think many people expected them to win they're expecting stafford to win now and i'm very excited to see how that plays out again We will get into Super Bowl predictions in a later episode, but right now I want to just talk about what we had already seen, and I think both teams, and I got to admit, I was looking back on a a couple of episodes ago, I was wrong. I missed both Super Bowl picks. I had the complete opposite matchup. I had Niners Chiefs, but man, I'm pretty happy with where we're at. I would have loved to see Rams Chiefs, but again, like I said, we never get the Super Bowl we want. We never get the Super Bowl of two teams that are usually favored. That doesn't happen that often. So I'm happy to see where we're at, and I'm excited to see the whole lead up for next week. So let's move to this. The big news out of the NFL this week. Brian Flores, former coach of the Miami Dolphins, is suing the NFL and three teams, including the Dolphins, the New York Giants, and the Denver Broncos. He's suing due to the poor and quote-unquote racist hiring system that these teams have for hiring a head coach. And there's more to this than just that. As you look at the Dolphins, and he mentions... uh, Owner Stephen Ross, notoriously bad owner, and says that he was offered a hundred thousand dollars a couple years ago for, in the tank for Tua campaign to lose a hundred thousand dollars per loss. And apparently, Stephen Ross wasn't too happy when they went on that winning streak at the end of the year. And we all know in week seventeen, 
Ryan Fitzmagic threw the touchdown to Mike Gusecki to knock the uh, knock the Patriots out of a bye week, and then they end up having to play the Titans next week, and that's the end of the Tom Brady era. But it infuriates me to see that these owners are so disconnected from how a football team is run. I know they're the businessmen, and all they care about is the bottom line. And the bottom line for the Dolphins was if we keep losing, we get a better draft pick, which we get the more enticing quarterback to be the future of this franchise. And yes, as a fan, would you maybe like to see them lose? But as a coach, you can't do that. As a coach, you can only play with the cards in which you were dealt. You can't be expecting when the next card in the river comes up that it's going to try or you're playing five card and you can't slip some cards over because you think you're going to get something way better. If you have a three of a kind and you think you can go for bigger, then so be it. But a coach can't be forecasting what his roster looks like next year. He's got to be playing with the roster, which he has. And Brian did a fantastic job of that because then he gets Tua, and Tua obviously wasn't ready in the second year. And then he almost platoons Tua with Fitzmagic, the lefty-righties. And they win 10 games. Yes, they don't make the playoffs, but most 10-win teams do. And yes, it was it didn't happen for them, but that was an incredible season. And even this year, they end up starting, I think, 1-7, and seven, and they end up winning 9 games. They beat the Patriots both times. They have young budding stars like safety Javon Holland. They Xavier Howard, they just locked up for a long time. He's really good. They nailed, I know you traded up for him, but you nailed your first round pick in Jalen Waddle. He's fantastic. Yes, you don't really have a running back. I don't trust Miles Gaskin, but your offensive line's very poor, and you need to address that in the upcoming draft. And you need to develop guys like Austin Jackson and Liam Eikenberg. But you look at this team, and they're trending in the right direction, other than the fact they don't have the quarterback. Tua's not a, the guy. I think that's completely apparent now that he has two years under his belt. I always give a guy a benefit of his down his first year. He's a rookie, doesn't know the league, but he had an entire offseason prepared for this year. And, frankly, he didn't look good. He, had, Yeah, he was efficient as in his passing completion percentage but he doesn't throw the ball down the field he doesn't make enough big plays he's very limited athletically he reminds me a lot of baker mayfield baker mayfield's ceiling to me is just a guy that's super accurate and will methodically move you down the field but doesn't have supreme athleticism and the difference is two and knows he's not super athletic baker thinks he is and tries to make these absurd plays and it hurts him in the back end and you know, and you hear the rift that occurred between Ross and Flores over the whole situation with Deshaun Watson and Flores wanting Deshaun and pushing for it as he wanted a guy with a very high ceiling and he wanted a quarterback that was a star. And yes, Deshaun has his baggage, we all know. But he wanted a star. He didn't want to have to sit with the mediocre Tuataga Viola for much longer. And I was super surprised to hear when he was fired from the Dolphins. Super, super surprised because I thought he was a fantastic coach. 
He's defensive oriented, yet he commands a locker room a lot like a guy like Mike Tomlin does. Tomlin has his defensive roots. He's not an offensive guy, and we've seen that with how he's failed to hire a really good offensive coordinator over the last couple of hires, hiring cycles. But Tomlin commands excellence in the room, and you see that with some of these Steelers rosters over the last couple, specifically the last two years, how they won as many games as they have, I don't know. It's not good quarterback play because Ben's physically done. He was done four years ago whenever he injured his elbow. But Tomlin wields is a part of the reason this team consistently wins. His defense is great, and so is Flores. Flores' defense with the Dolphins is fantastic. We all saw them stifle Lamar Jackson on the Thursday Night Football midseason where they just kept bringing the safety blitz, and Lamar couldn't do anything, and they beat the Mighty Ravens. So I think the fact that he got fired was just not... I don't think you should have fired him at all, genuinely. And the way in which it ended was poor in Miami. And I don't really know where Miami pivots from here on out. However, that gets us into the big point of the what Brian Flores did this week, not just his tenure in Miami. We got to talk about what he is suing the NFL for and some of the allegations he is making against the NFL and the impact of what he his uh whatever action lawsuit can do. And let's see if we can make the change in the hiring process of head coaches in the NFL. So let's now pivot into the rules in place right now for the hiring of NFL coaches. As we speak, there's a set of rules called the Rooney Rules. The Rooney Rules have been in place since 2003, and it says that you must interview two external minority candidates for your head coaching position before you pick who you are. That, that's great in theory. It sounds great. It sounds more inclusive. We're trying to get more people involved. We're trying to give minorities an opportunity to pursue these jobs. However, it hasn't worked. And nothing's more apparent than that than the New York Giants. The New York Giants have never had a black head coach. They've only had five ever coordinators, offense or defensive, black coordinators. And since 2003, they've only interviewed one more than the minimum minority candidates when hiring a coach. And since then, they've hired Coughlin, McAdoo, Shermer, and Judge. That's, I believe there's five coaching, there was four or five coaching cycles, and they've only interviewed one time more than extra, and Brian Dable. So that's five times. That is five coaching cycles that you have had now had to pick a candidate, and you've only interviewed an extra minority candidate than what you had to one time. That tells me you're just meeting the requirements. You're doing the bare minimum to meet the rules in which the NFL has in place. And that, that is completely apparent with the situation with Brian Flores. Belichick makes a rare error, texts the wrong Brian, I think he's texting Brian Dable, texts Flores, and says congrats on getting the job. Three days before Flores does. And... This is all like that is awful. It's a, it's a mistake. It's an honest mistake. But what are you doing if you're in Brian Flores' shoes in that position? 
you have to walk in to an interview in which you know you're not going to get the job. Do you go? What she did. And credit to him. Because if he doesn't show up, then it's, oh, Brian Flores doesn't show up for interview. This, that, the other in the news. He's not a qualified candidate. He's not bought in. Good for him showing up and trying the best he could on the three-and-a-half-hour interview that he had with the Giants, even though he knew he wasn't getting the job. What are you going to do? Tell, oh, call Brian Dable up. Oh, by the way, we just interviewed Brian Flores, and he did so well that we are going to have to revoke our offer for you to be the head coach. It ain't happening. That makes no sense. So that right there is the epitome of the issues at hand and that these inner circles in the NFL of these old white owners just collectively being discriminant towards these black individuals who are applying for positions. Guys like Eric Bieniemy, I don't know how he doesn't have a job. He's been the offensive coordinator mastermind of the Chiefs the last couple of years. How about Jim Caldwell hasn't had a job in years. Byron Leftwich, who's been the offensive coordinator in Tampa, hasn't got a job. Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator in Tampa, doesn't have a head coaching job. And there's three jobs up right now, and I don't hear any of their names up. Now that Doug Peterson has got the Jacksonville job, there's no rumors about those names coming about other than Bieniemy, who does have an interview with the Saints, but you know what that is. They already interviewed Dennis Allen. Dennis Allen's going to get the job, and Bieniemy's just going to be the requirement to meet the Rooney rules. That's all it is. There is a humongous issue here as we have 71% of the NFL being black and we have one black head coach. That's amazing. That is utterly incredible that there could be that large of a disparity between those numbers. And seeing what Stephen A. Smith talked about with if Mike Tomlin wasn't with Pittsburgh the only current black coach. A team that is super patient with their coaches. They've only had three coaches since 1969. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, now Mike Tomlin. If he was anywhere else, where he's alleged been in the hot seat, I don't think he really ever has. If he's anywhere else, he'd been fired years ago and probably wouldn't have got another chance. And Tomlin's fantastic. He's probably the third best coach in the NFL right now. And I don't think it's that arguable with Sean Payne retiring retiring i put them kind of in the same area it's andy reads at two and belichick's at one everyone can agree upon that so i can't fathom why we sit here and we give all these guys second chances ahead of coaching jobs like a josh mcdaniels who was not great with denver back in the early 2010s and dennis allen's gonna get another chance but todd bowles not gonna get another chance after having that incredible Super Bowl winning defense. The enemy's not going to get a chance, even though he's been the engineer with Andy Reid, and he sat under him, under the great coaching tree of Andy Reid. And he has sat and picked his brain for all these years and been the offensive coordinator on some of the best offenses we've ever seen. And it's, as Roger Goodell just released a statement as I speak, work needs to be done. I don't know how it needs to be done. Obviously, the Rooney rules need to be modified. And this sports need needs to be more inclusive. But it's a top-down system, and that's the issue, is because we have all 32 teams owned by white men, mostly old white men. 
And, well, now that the Broncos are up for sale, maybe that could change. Maybe we'll have 31. And I would love to see that. I would love to see the diversity start from the top. We have three African-American GMs now. That's a step in the right direction. But why is coaching now taking the hit? We need to improve these numbers. I understand they're probably not as going to be as great as even the NBA, which I think is almost half black coaches. But it's got to be better than it is. It's got to be significantly better than it is. You gotta. There's got to be some. There's there's got to be more than one. And the fact that there is one just is super disappointing, especially when you have a candidate like Brian Flores, who, in my opinion, when he was coaching this year, is a top. I don't know, eight-ish coach in this league. And he's not getting the job. And you're not even getting a fair shot if you're the Giants. Yes, I understand Brian Dable's good, but that's awful. That is awful. And I, I give props to Flores for going on TV, talking, and with his legal team. And I don't, I don't think he's going to win. I hope this sparks something. But remember, you're suing 32 billionaires. 32 billionaires. They will hire the best lawyers they can. That's what happens every time. That's what happened to Kaepernick. John Gruden's suing the NFL right now. Good luck with that. Good luck suing a organization that just signed a $100 billion TV deal. Obviously, money's not the issue. Litigation's not going to be the issue. I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but I think more than anything with this case, where I felt Kaepernick was a bit more polarizing in the sides in which you could take. But Brian Flores, I think any sensible person should understand the issues of what had happened with that interview with the Giants. And then him speaking out against the Denver Broncos about John Elway and associates showing up intoxicated the morning after or hungover to their interview and given a half-ass interview. And then they end up hiring Vic Fangio. And Vic Fangio's gone now. He's just got fired after a couple years. Three years, he gone. It's a travesty to see what is happening. And I hope there's change. I think any person can see that there needs to be change. And I don't know how we do it. And I guess that's something we're just going to have to find out here over the next couple of... Uh, couple weeks, maybe, year. I don't know how long this lawsuit's going to be, but I'm glad Brian Flores did this. He's got his name out there. He might have sacrificed his career as a coach, but he's got his name out there, and he's brought attention to the subject. And I hope, I hope that it's able to change something. But remember, the only thing the owners care about is the bottom line. And if this doesn't affect the bottom line, they don't care. They will not care. And the NFL has set such a high point right now. Look at the viewership of last week's ASC and NFC championship games. They were touching over 50 million people tuning in. The bottom line ain't hurting right now. You just signed a $100 billion deal with TV networks. Until the bottom line is affected, nothing else matters to them. And that brings me to this. I feel the same way in baseball. And... With this entire lockout situa situation happening in baseball, it shows that the discrepancy between millionaires and billionaires is huge. And I don't want to get too much into that right now as I'm trying to keep this episode really to the NFL. But 
this whole baseball lockout situation has been awful for the sport. And I, especially with the bad blood on social media over the last couple hours, it has been bad for the sport of baseball. But I'm not going to get too much into that. Actually, that is going to be the topic of the next episode. I'm going to talk about why the strike is happening, what each side seems to want as of now, and the state of baseball as we speak. Along with that, I want to touch upon a couple of uh, top 100 lists that just came out. That should be exciting. We're going to be talking about the top a top 100 uh, prospects list that came out from uh, athletic writer Keith Law that I have a lot of strong opinions upon. And another top 100 list from ESPN who should stay away from baseball at this point. They're, they do not post anything about them. They do not care. They released the top 100 baseball players of all time, and I have some very strong opinions about some of their rankings. So tune in for next episode for that, but I'm going to leave it off at this. We have a new team name in the NFL. We have our Super Bowl matchup. And we have somebody trying to fight the biggest giant in all of sports, in all in the entire world. And we will see how that goes. And I hope the best for Brian Flores. I hope he gets another job. But we're going to have to see how the next couple of weeks play out. And we're going to talk about the Super Bowl next week. Next week, we're going to talk about what to look for in the Super Bowl and the keys of the game before it happens. So hope you guys keep tuning in. And I'm going to leave this off here. And remember, next episode, we got a big baseball episode coming up. Thanks for listening.